But this morning, as we continue to look at Jesus' life and to look at how his ministry went and what we see from it, this morning we're looking at, I'm calling him the best preacher you don't know. And we're looking at one man who with just a few simple actions in one sentence, quite honestly, delivers one of the best sermons I've ever heard. Um, So before we do that, though, please join me in prayer. Lord, we lift up your name and your name alone. This is not about me. This is not about our worship team. This is not about the people in the seats. This is about you. So let our hearts be burdened with your glory and your glory alone. Let that be what we seek after, what we long for, to see you lifted up. We pray for our brothers and sisters gathered uh, in this area, Lord. We think of Shelby. We think of New Life. We think of um, Center Point. We think of Heartland. We think of North Woodbury. We think of Westwood. We think of the Mac. Just in our immediate family, Lord, we lift up these bodies. Who's ever preaching, who's ever leading worship, whether they've already done it or it still has to come, we ask that you would just be with them this morning, that it would be your name magnified in those congregations. You are so good, and it is such a privilege to be part of your family. We love you and we praise you with everything we have, and we ask that this time would be an offering that is pleasing to you, that they would be your words, that we would hear them with open ears, that our hearts would be open to whatever it is you're trying to teach us, Lord. And let it start with me. Teach me in this. Thank you for what you've taught me thus far. We surrender to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So like with plenty of these stories that we've looked at, this is an interaction, Jesus and a man with leprosy. And this pops up in three different, it pops up in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So to begin though, because it's important to understand, what just happened? Where did we, last week we preached about Jesus leaving Capernaum, where did we physically leave Jesus? This is the part where you say something. Okay, reminder, he was in Capernaum, it was going well. We talked about how he modeled the desire for internal intimacy with God. So he went, starts with an M, M-O-U-N-T-A-N-S, mountains, hey! He went to the mountains, right? Jesus left the city, he left the people, he left the crowds, he went out into the wilderness so that he could be alone with God and pray. And that was where his disciples found him. His disciples come out, they seek after him, they find him in the mountains, they find him in the wilderness, and they say, look, the crowds are looking for you, why don't we go back to the crowds? And he says, no, we have to go on to the next cities, we have to go on to the next group of people. That is why I came, to continue to take this message of the gospel of the kingdom of God to everyone, okay? So we left Jesus on the mountains in the wilderness by himself, just as apostles, And this is where the story picks up. You find it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We're going to read the account in Matthew. Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. Pay attention to all these details. They're all meaningful. So he's by himself with his disciples in the mountains. He comes down from the mountains, and the great crowds resume. So when he came down from the mountains, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him, And knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. 
And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. It's a very short interaction, but it's very public. It's very visible. This is going on in the crowds. This is going in Luke's account. In Luke's account in chapter 5, he actually says that Jesus was back in the city. He was back in one of the cities. So this is, this is not a leper going to Jesus out in the wilderness. This is a leper coming to Jesus in the midst of the people in a city where everyone would have seen what happens. And who do we get to see Jesus as in this interaction? We've looked at Jesus as an evangelist. We've looked at Jesus as Savior. We've looked at Jesus when he demonstrates he gives five proofs that he's God. But in this moment, we get to see Jesus as our healer. And this is such a beautifully intimate picture of Jesus as our healer. And in this one sentence, in this man's behavior, like I said, this is the, this is the best preacher you don't know. We don't know his name. We know nothing about him aside from a few sparse details. But this man demonstrates for us how we should relate to and understand Jesus, the Messiah, as our healer. And maybe Jesus' healer is something you've heard about but haven't really thought about carefully. Maybe it's something you've read about and it seemed kind of off to you, what you've heard. Maybe there are questions, maybe there are confusion. This isn't going to answer everything. This is going to be next week we're going to build on this and continue to look at Jesus' healer. But this is going to be an introduction really to, to four lessons I see from this man as to how to relate to Jesus as healer and how to understand him as our healer. And what's the first thing we see? The first thing we see that this man models for us is that he is entirely focused on Jesus Christ. His, his entire view is on Jesus. I, I said we don't know much about him. We know just a few details. What's one of them? What's, what's, the, really, what's the only identifying feature we're told about him? He's leper. He's got leprosy, right? Maybe you don't fully understand. I know I always haven't, right? We know leprosy was a bad skin disease. We know they were kind of shunned, right? Do you realize when it talks about they were shunned in that culture, just how severe it was? It was not like, a, oh, we just don't like him, so we just make him sit by himself. Best case scenario, if a leper came into the city, because the lepers weren't allowed to live with everyone else. The lepers weren't allowed to have a town or a home within town limits, right? It wasn't like, well, that's my neighbor. I don't really like him, so I just avoid him. No, no, no. Like, get out. You live on the outskirts. We want nothing to do with you. So best case scenario, if a leper came into the city where we know Jesus was, if a leper came into contact with large crowds of people, best case scenario these people are going to act in revulsion. They're going to recoil in disgust, and they're going, to, they're going to flee this person's presence, right? That makes you feel good about yourself. So that's the best-case scenario. More likely, and totally acceptable and common, is that the people would pick up rocks or stones. or uh, rock is a stone. Probably there's a difference. I don't know. They'd pick up rocks. They'd pick up sticks. They'd pick up whatever was at hand, and they would physically drive the person out of their presence. You had every right. That's a leper. They can't come into contact with us. Kids, come on, pick up the rocks. Drive this person from our presence. Who wants to get hit with this? This is one, and I'm not very... Have you played on the church softball team? I'm not a pitcher. My goodness. Who wants to get hit like this if I just throw it? Now imagine if all of you are throwing rocks. This whole section are pelting someone with rocks. That's what this man was risking. 
by coming into contact with people. What's the other thing we know about this man? We know he's a leper. And what the, what's the word immediately following leper? Came. He came to Jesus. He didn't stumble across Jesus accidentally. They didn't bump into each other in the wilderness. This wasn't a one-on-one -on -one interaction. This man knew where Jesus was. Clearly he knew because he came to him. He knew what he was risking by engaging with the crowds. He knew what he was risking by going into the city. He knew what might be thrown at him. But he came to Jesus because he was entirely focused on Jesus. He wasn't worried about the risks. He wasn't worried about the threat. He wasn't worried about the uncertain possibilities of what might happen. His focus was on Jesus. And there's twofold lessons in this for us. I'm going to start with individual, and then we're going to, we're going to go to us as a body. Individually, do you go to Jesus? Regardless of what might get thrown at you. Regardless of what obstacles might be in your way. Regardless of what might risk or what risk you might be facing. Is your in immediate reaction to go to Jesus? Or do we allow the enemy to pelt us with a rock? I'm, I'm wounded by this. I'm burdened by this. I'm suffering from this. There's Jesus. And the enemy says, you're not worthy. You're too much of a sinner. Ow. Okay and we allow the rock to beat us back. That's Jesus. He's too busy for you. That's too small of a problem. You can't go to Jesus, and we flinch at the rock, and we allow it to beat us back. What rocks do you allow the enemy to pelt you with when you try to go to Jesus? You're too busy. You don't have enough time. Your kid's going to ask you a question. You don't know the answer. And guess what? You can't confess to your small group that you don't know the answer. That's embarrassing. Get out of here. What rocks do we allow the enemy to throw at us that keep us from going to Jesus? This man was not focused on them. He was focused on Jesus. And then I want to talk about us as a church, as a body. What rocks do we throw? What rocks do we use to keep people away from Jesus? You have to know, it is the burden on my heart that this will be a church that reaches the lost and actively pursues the lost and engages with the lost. I hope that through our doors, I'm about to use some words that are going to make you uncomfortable. I hope that through our doors we see transgender people come in. I hope that we see LGBTQIA people come in. And yes, I intentionally use all those letters because you know what? When we're talking about those people and we say, oh, you know, the LMNOP people, you know, the alphabet crowd, Put down the rock. What dignity is that showing them? What compassion and love and mercy is that showing them? I'm in no way, shape, or form affirming that style of life. I believe the Bible is very clear on gender. I believe the Bible is very clear on marriage. I believe the Bible is very clear on sexuality. But if I refer to them as the LMNOP crowd or the alphabet people, are they finding mercy? Are they finding love or are they finding someone slinging rocks? I hope they come through the doors of our church. I hope former convicts and incarcerated, I hope the formerly incarcerated come through the doors of our church. I hope unwed moms 
come through the doors of our church. I hope teen parents come through the doors of our church. I hope the homeless come through the doors of our church. I hope the drug addicts come through the doors of our church. And church, if they do, how are you going to receive them? It is way past due for the church to put down its rocks. Because what do we see that Jesus responded to this man? You have a man with leprosy who is risking physical attack, but he is so focused on Jesus. He comes to Jesus, and how does Jesus reply? Jesus, Jesus doesn't just look at him. He doesn't just acknowledge him, but okay, still keep your distance. What's it say? It says Jesus reached out and touched him. Do you realize there's a very high chance this is the first physical contact this man had with anyone in years, decades perhaps, depending on his age? Jesus extends his hand to the man. He shows him the most basic love in making physical contact with him. That's how Jesus receives the leper. How does the church today receive our modern lepers? The man was entirely focused on Jesus. Jesus as his healer. And in that posture of coming to Jesus, what's the second thing that we see about this man? Because he came to him boldly. He came to him confidently. He didn't come in fear and has, oh, maybe. Maybe he did. Maybe there was a little bit of hesitancy. But ultimately, his desire to get to Jesus, it won out over any hesitancy of maybe getting attacked by the crowds. He came to Jesus confidently and boldly, but he came to Jesus as healer, Remember, we're looking at how do we relate to and understand Jesus as healer. He came to him properly submitted in reverence. Matthew's account says kneeling before Jesus. Mark's account says he knelt before Jesus. Luke's account said he fell on his face before Jesus. There was no arrogance. There was no posturing. There was no sense of entitlement. Hey, Jesus, you owe me this. He came before Jesus boldly, but he came before Jesus humbly. He was submitted to the Lord. He was on his face before Jesus. Jesus, you are my only hope of healing. Do we understand that with Christ? The Bible makes it very clear that we are to go confidently before the throne of God. Make no mistake, we are conquerors and co-heirs with Christ. We are sons and daughters of God. We are to go before his throne, before our Father, with confidence. But that confidence can never become arrogance. That confidence can never become a sense of, you owe me this. That confidence can never become a sense of, look, I've done enough. Pay me back now. It's a confidence that is also humbly submitted entirely to Jesus. And that is what this man has demonstrated. Remember, remember always the context. He's in the crowds. He's in the city. This man has demonstrated all of this to these people. That he is more focused on Christ than on them. And when he gets to Christ, he falls to his knees, to his face before him. In reverence to who Jesus is. And then comes, like I said, the best preacher you don't know. This sermon in one line is incredible. What's the next thing we see? What's he say to Jesus? He says, if you will, you can heal me. He demonstrates that he is fully aware and understanding of the power of Christ. He doesn't say, if you will, you can give your best shot. 
if you will, you could take a stab at it. He says, if you will, you can heal me. It's assertive. He knows who Jesus is. There's a reason he sought him out. There's a reason he came to Christ. If you will, you can heal me. And this is not the only time we see these average men and women, these nobodies who we don't know their names, demonstrate that they get it far beyond the people of Israel. The centurion in Matthew 8, 5 to 13, or Luke 7, 1 through 10. If you're familiar with that story, the centurion has a sick servant, and Jesus is going to his house, and the centurion sends a messenger. He says, you don't need to come to my house. I'm not worthy of you to come to my house. I understand authority. I have authority. If I say to one of my soldiers, go, he goes. If I say, come, he comes. If you say the word, my servant will be healed. The centurion demonstrates a full understanding of the power of Jesus. And how does Jesus respond to that centurion? He marvels at him. And again, this is happening in a crowd. And he says, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. The woman who's afflicted with bleeding, and it's been going on for years. She was an outcast. She was shunned. The people wanted nothing to do with her because she was so perpetually unclean in Matthew 9. says, if I can only touch the edge of his robe, I will be healed. And she fights through the crowd just to get near enough to Jesus. And how does Jesus respond? He turns and he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. She understood the power of Jesus. The centurion understood the power of Jesus. This man with leprosy understands the power of Jesus. So when we know and relate to and understand Jesus as healer, you have to understand he has the power. There is nothing on this earth that Jesus cannot do. There is no, oh, what's your diagnosis? Nope, can't handle that one. What's afflicting you mentally, emotionally? Nope, that's too big. Mm -mm. That's not Jesus. Jesus has infinite power. Jesus is God. God is omnipotent. And they got this. These men and women demonstrated it for us. And what's interesting in all three of these cases, starting with this man with leprosy, is these are the people on the outside. These are the people who aren't supposed to get it. Jesus is interacting with the Jewish people, the people who are God's people. They're the ones who should get it. And you have a leper. You have an unclean man. I mean, you've got a Roman centurion, that godless, heathen, oppressive political regime of Rome. The Jews would have hated this man. And what does Jesus say about him? I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. It's people who understand the power of Christ. It's incredible. It's humbling. Because what's the final thing we see about this man with leprosy directly related to the power of Jesus? In understanding Jesus as healer, Directly related to the power of Christ, we see that this man demonstrates a proper understanding of the authority structure. We see that this man demonstrates a proper understanding of how this works, of whose decision it is. Because what does he say? He says, if you will, you can heal me. I'll admit, I'll be the first to admit, and maybe somebody here is like me, I far too frequently have gotten that backwards. And I've heard it prayed backwards too frequently. 
This man said, if you will, you can. Embarrassingly, I've gone before the Lord and I've said, God, if you can, will you? Lord, if, if you can do this, would you please? And you can fill in the blank because there's an unspoken. When we say, God, if you can, there's an unspoken there. God, I, I know you're busy. I know you've got a lot going on. I know you have a lot on your mind. If you can find time for me, would, would you please do it? God, I, I know this is a big request. I know this is huge. I know this mental, emotional, physical affliction has been plaguing me for years. I know this is a big deal. If you can, would you handle it? If you're able to, if you can find time to, if you can find it in your heart to, will you please? Far too often I've allowed that to be my mindset, and this man demonstrates the exact opposite. He demonstrates a proper understanding. He says, no, if you will, you can. It's not a question of power. He freely acknowledges the power of Jesus Christ to heal him. It's a question of, is this in your will? And this man is submitted to that will. Remember, he's kneeling before the Lord. He's saying, if this is your will, if this is your plan, if this is your purpose, you can do it. And I submit to that. And again, this is something we see throughout Scripture. We're going to go back to a passage that we actually looked at a couple months ago. If you recall the sermon on when Jesus gave five proofs that he was God, right? He went, out, he went out to the Pharisees and he laid down five proofs of equality with God. And that immediately followed when he healed a man at the pool of Bethsaida. And we didn't look at that back then. I just explained, all right, he just healed a man, and then he has this conversation with the Pharisees. But now we're going to actually go back and we're going to look at that healing at the pool of Bethsaida. This is in John 5, starting in verse 3. In these, talking about multiple areas, in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. What two words popped up in verse 3 and verse 4? There was a multitude of invalids there. There was a multitude of paralyzed and afflicted people there. Jesus picked out one man. You don't think those other people wanted to be healed? You don't think those other people had family members who wanted them to be healed? Who would have appreciated them being healed? Maybe they could have gotten their job back if they were healed. There was a multitude. Jesus healed one man. Why? I don't know. I, it doesn't give a reason. It doesn't explain it. But I do know this, that God always does that which brings him glory. And so if Jesus healed that one man at the pool of Bethsaida in the midst of the multitudes, then I believe and am firmly convicted of, it is because that was what would bring God the most glory. It's not a matter of can he do it. It's a matter of is it his will? Well, Sam, why isn't it always his will to heal? I don't know. We've prayed for healing in this church. The elders went down and we prayed for Daniel Garber to be healed. He wasn't. But at Daniel Garber's funeral, we had 500 Amish packed into this room and they got to hear the message of salvation for maybe the first and last time in their lives. 
I'm not going to dare to presume to know God's will for every individual situation. I will declare that God always does that which brings him glory. And we must be submitted to that will. We must understand that it is his will that makes the decision. He does not bend to our will. It is up to God. And it is not a matter of earning favor. It's not a matter of earning points. Well, maybe those other people weren't healed because they didn't ask for it. Maybe those other people weren't healed because they hadn't done enough good works. That's not how it works. Listen to 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 9. This is Paul writing. Paul, the greatest missionary evangelist of all time, the greatest author, human author. I mean, the most prolific, the letters he wrote. This is Paul. If anyone had curried enough favor to cash in their chips, right, in that stunted way of thinking, if any human had earned enough favor with God to say, okay, God, time to, time to heal me and answer this prayer, it was Paul. And what does he write in 12, 7 through 9? So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Listen to verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Three times Paul went before God and pleaded, Father, heal me of this physical affliction. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul understood that it was about the will of the Father. Paul understood that it was about God's will. He went to the Lord and he prayed for this healing. And when he did not receive it, he said, okay. Okay, that's your will. Then I will boast in this so that Christ may be glorified. This man with leprosy got it. It's not about, hey, Jesus, you need to do this for me. It's, Jesus, if this is your will, I know you can do this. The power of healing entirely is the Lord's. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 6, verse 9 and verse 11. And just a quick side note, when we talk about fun Bible passages to tuck away in the back of your mind, verses 4 through 6 are great two verses if anybody ever questioned, well, the Bible doesn't really support the Trinity. No, in verses 4 through 6, you'll see the Holy Spirit referred to, Jesus referred to, and God the Father referred to, all in the same sense. Fantastic. I love the little details like that. That's, I mean, that's really cool stuff to see. Verse 4, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. Verse 9, to another faith by the same Spirit, talking about gifts now, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit. And then verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. When we talk about relating to and understanding Jesus as healer, we have to understand that it is always about his power and his will. He is the one who is the authority. He is the one who this belongs to. Okay? I know this is a big topic. Like I said, this is going to be week one of two. Next week, we're going to continue to look at this. This idea of knowing Jesus as our healer. But this is what the man with leprosy demonstrates for us. He comes to Christ. 
He doesn't seek out the apostles. He doesn't come into the crowd and say, hey, let me find one of the people following him. No, he goes to Christ. He seeks out Jesus, regardless of the obstacles in his way. He seeks out Jesus. And when he gets to Jesus, it's not with arrogance, it's with humble submission to the Lord. And then he declares, he says, Jesus, if you will, you can heal me. Because the power is Christ's. He freely acknowledges that. But the authority, the decision is Christ's. And he freely acknowledges that as well. And so as we continue to look at this idea this week in preparation for next week and continuation of this week's message, there are two passages I want you to read. And it's okay if you have questions. I want to have conversations. I want to have discussion. I want us to be knowing and growing together. I want you to read Isaiah 53, and then I want you to read Matthew 8, 14 to 17, in which they reference, in which Matthew is prompted by the Holy Spirit as he wrote, as he wrote the book of Matthew, Matthew 8. He references Isaiah 53. So read Isaiah 53 and Matthew 8, 14 to 17 every day this week. And I want yourself to ask, I want, I want yourself, I want you to ask yourself two questions. Do I believe Jesus heals? Do you? Do you believe Jesus heals? That's a serious question. The follow-up question is, do I believe Jesus is Lord even if he doesn't heal? If we pray for healing and Jesus chooses not to heal, if God's will is not for that person, that individual to be healed, does that affect our belief that Jesus is Lord? Or do we readily acknowledge that Jesus is still sovereign because he is God, not because he does what we want him to. And the prayer is simple. Lord, help me to know you more fully and in truth. This is, this is a doctrine that gets twisted really easily and really frequently. And I want it to be a doctrine that we understand as a church because it's integral to Jesus' ministry. And we have to understand that it is, it is not about us. It is about Jesus as healer. This man with leprosy demonstrates that. I want us to take his lessons to heart. Please join me in prayer. Father, we know we will never be able to fully wrap our minds around you. I, I cannot get my mind around the idea of existing outside of time. But I thank you that you have given us the mental ability to look at your word and to pursue knowledge of you. And so, God, when we get to these difficult passages, when we get to these tough lessons that are taught in a variety of ways, Lord, I ask that you would teach us with your spirit that you would take us deeper into understanding, that you would open our eyes to know you more fully, but to know the real you, not the version of you that so many different sources want us to know. God, if I've said something that's been off, give our people a gut check. Let the Holy Spirit guard this body. I, I certainly don't think I'm immune to messing up. So please protect these people. And God, teach me. Teach our elders. Teach our staff. We want to know you. We want to look at the, the tough questions. We want to look at the deep topics. 
We don't want to stay on the surface. We want to know you, but we want to know the real you. So please lead us in understanding. We love you. We praise you. We surrender to you in everything. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We stand, please.